0: Let's get ready to say goodbye to 2019 on the Overdrive Radio podcast today, December 27th, 2019. Christmas is in the books and soon so will be the year, so we're taking a trip down memory lane today via the top 10 most listened to episodes of Overdrive Radio. Before we get to that top 10 though, a few honorable mentions that didn't quite crack it but got really close. All three too land in subject matter areas where the heat was turned up one way or another as regards uh, reader interest, worry, and or real desire for change. Classify this first honorable mention in all three of those categories, be my guess. Where we're at today is there is no software, there is no artificial intelligence that has the experience or the prediction capability or the instincts that an experienced driver has. The subject was autonomous trucks, and the podcast excerpted a good bit of a panel discussion moderated at the Great American Trucking Show with the voice you heard there, that of Pronto.ai's Ognin Stojinovsky, and Paul Schlegel of Starsky Robotics. Though both are clearly involved and invested in technologies that stand to throw a big wrench into the work of driving, both also expressed healthy amounts of skepticism as to autonomous tech's reality, where the rubber meets the road today. Here, Schlegel outlines Starsky's approach to tech development as a small trucking company and tech developer in tandem. Uh,
1: Starsky's approach is to do repeatable lanes, short repeatable lanes, validate those lanes to a point where um, you if something happens on that lane or something changes from the last time you were through there, you have a um, overlapping safety mechanism that can operate the equipment. We do believe that um, on these short lanes that uh, we're anywhere from 6 to 12 months from being able to take a driver out of a truck on a short lane and run it from the shipper to the consignee. So um, the, the approach that Starsky takes is limit the variables. So if you limit the variables, you operate on the same lanes, you validate those same lanes day in and day out. When there is a problem, the, um, you can identify that problem quicker. So a lot of people ask, you know, well, you do use artificial intelligence and all of this other thing and machine learning. And our approach really does not rely uh, solely on machine learning. The way we look at it is, if we operate the same lane 100 times and there's something in the road, then your system recognizes that sooner than what a driver would recognize that, can make the decision quicker to take the appropriate action to avoid having having an incident or an accident so it's very different than people that are driving you know or companies that are saying hey we're going to go coast to coast we're going to prepare for every inevitable situation we're going to drive in all kinds of weather what we're looking at it is short repeatable lanes validate the safety and then take the driver out of the truck and be able to operate that
0: you can search, uh, engineering realities versus hyperactive marketing, uh, quote-unquote, at uh, overdriveonline.com to find the full discussion, which first aired back in early September. Now, that next honorable mention, another podcast edition anchored around a GATS panel discussion of a hot-button issue that occupies the minds of truckers in all sorts of segments. That's parking, of course. It featured uh, Texas Department of Transportation freight planning representative Sherry Pfeiffer, and uh, plenty of audience interaction. A great deal of it focused on ideas for alternatives to traditional parking venues like truck stops and rest areas. Owner operator Ingrid Brown and Clark Freight Lines driver Jack Smith were part of a small group on the stage and both effectively set the parameters for the discussion at the top of it with this pair of anecdotes. Smith told of a delivery into, into North Fort Worth just a day or two ahead of the gas discussion. Where he ran into an all too common problem.
2: And I thought I had plenty of time. Um, I had used a, a common um, uh, app called Trucker Path. Uh, found a, what I thought was a truck stop very near where I was at my uh, delivery point. And this is at uh, literally at two o'clock in the afternoon. And even though Trucker Path said the uh, lot was full, I, I just. Sometimes that's not completely accurate. So I, I just said, nah, that can't be true. I'm just, I'm just going to go and, tr- and try it. And at 2.20 2 in the afternoon, day before yesterday, on 185 spot uh, uh, truck stop, it was completely full, including paid parking. And it got me thinking, you know, that's an area in Fort Worth, 35W, that is growing as far as uh, industrially quite a bit and anything south of Denton, other than this one truck stop I stopped at, it's the only one, there's no, there's no DOT parking, there's no other truck stops, and that's a fairly long stretch, uh, and it looks to me like that would be, I mean, one. that's just one of many, but that, that was immediately came to mind, that was a problem area, I couldn't believe. Now, I don't, I don't use that corridor very often, 35W, uh, we are dispatched out of uh, Pasadena, Texas, so uh, my experience in that area is, is not very much, but I was still shocked. Uh, and then another, this, this was yesterday, uh, after I get that work done, I go and ma- I deliver, I pick up, and uh, I'm preparing to sl- stop for the night here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I decided uh, there was a truck stop there on I-20 in uh, between... 35E and 45. This is again, it's about 150 uh, space truck stop. It's again 2.30 in the afternoon and the exact same thing happened. It was completely full. Uh, There was a sparse, uh, I was able to park there because there was just a couple of reserved paid parkings available. But again, it was shocking because uh, in my experience, Usually, if you're looking for a place to park, whether you're trying to get your 30 hour, I mean, 30 minute break uh, and it's in the middle of the day, it's, uh, it's usually no problem whatsoever. Uh, not that early in the day. And back to back, two days in a row, I experienced that.
3: I have ran Texas my whole life. I mean, I run top, bottom, side, side, all over. I also had a secondary residence in Texas for many years from uh, where I was previously married. So Texas is a big a big part of my career as well. Um, you know there's we know there's problems I mean that that's why we're sitting here. We pretty well know what those problems are especially as drivers, carriers, fleet managers, brokers, everybody in the industry knows you know capacity is of course our number one scream and yell and match. Number two is is we have parking but who actually do we go to for the areas of parking that's available? Um, rest areas we we've, we've gone over this and, and areas of places that are shut down places that can be uh, facilities installed because Texas does have a lot of parking that is um, just parking areas with no facilities with no security lights with no cameras with no emergency um, uh, connection whatsoever so you know starting out with realistic requests and realistic ideas you know, I can go over the problems all day long. And we can, like, I can waste my time with that. And the thing is, is what are our solutions? My solution for me, being a female running solo, is that I'm in a safe place. I'm in a place that I can have a facility. I'm in a place that I would prefer to be able to have food. But at that same event, I have a refrigerator, I have a microwave, I have I have capabilities for that for a shift. Um, But those things are the first things at the top of my list. It's not about really where you put me. It's where I can find to get to.
0: There's a lot more to the overall discussion. As Ingrid Brown there intimated, search working together toward a new get in reality, quote unquote, at overdriveonline.com to find the full podcast. Third honorable mention. How retired trucker Joe Jolly came to realize the extent to which sun exposure and skin cancer are underappreciated risks for long-time drivers. After he cut himself shaving and the wound didn't heal, he was diagnosed with squamous cell carcinoma there and had the spot ultimately surgically removed by a doctor.
4: I said, I was inside the cab of a truck, I I said, the sun wasn't on me. She said, oh, it wasn't on you, but it was on you. She said, "It it will find you. And uh, that that's when she was telling me about people that wear glasses or sunglasses that drive a lot. She said it will actually reflect off of your face onto the back of your eyeglass frames and back into your face again. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. God, I, it's I never it, thought of no- never ever thought that I would ever have skin cancer,
5: Yeah. that's for them people that stand out in the sun all day long, but nope, it's not, it will find you.
0: Search skin cancer at overdriveonline.com for more coverage of the sun exposure and cancer risk topic that followed throughout the year. Now, let's count down here from number 10, which was a unique edition of the podcast, featuring as it did not the voice of a trucker, but that of a carrier VP who, when Newly hired by CR England went undercover within the company's CDL training program to see it all from the newly hired driver's perspective. The goal? Improving an abysmal turnover rate by improving the entire training process. Here's Pam Wilson, that self-same VP, describing some of what she found.
6: Well, like most trucking companies, it's very difficult to keep drivers. And um, they're no different than anyone else. And uh, the upper leadership, particularly... uh, Chad and Josh England um, really wanted to change the landscape uh, for our driver, understanding that there was a lot of potential there to retain drivers, but also, you know, there's altruistic motivation too, that you want to live up to what uh, their ideas were going to be coming into this job. And um, so when I came in and interviewed, we talked about multiple options chad in particular decided that asked me first if i would consider going undercover so only chad and josh knew of my interview um so it was a unique opportunity um and being the type of personality i am that loves adventure a little adrenaline and something unusual that sounded pretty darn awesome sure why not i go undercover as a trucking student um so it was agreed, and only those two knew my existence and the HR uh, vice president. Okay. Um, and so there were three people who knew that I had gone to the school and I uh, was going to school. So that's what I was hired to do. And I went through recruiting, just like every other student. I called recruiting. I went through the whole process of recruiting um, and was at school uh, within just a few weeks of my first interview chat. And I made real and true relationships. That was another interesting thing. I, relationships, actually, I still continue today. Um, and some of my dearest friends came from that experience. And so it was this constant, uh, I, was, I wasn't I was who I was portraying myself to be, but yet I was. Um, and it was a very, uh, it was actually quite liberating and um life changing experience that that five week you know three and a half to four and a half week process
7: i mean what exactly you know when you when you think about you know the driver experience there uh going through the training and then getting out on the on the road um you know with their c d l uh what did you learn about that and where where did you identify the biggest sort of issues i guess um
6: there's a distinction between really uh, two different uh, rules of thought. One being more like, what did I discover tactically, uh, right. with the processes that could improve, and the other was uh, the connection with the drivers, um, and what can be improved there, because those are two different philosophies even, and strategies, sure. but both play in. And I, I can't say even which one plays in more, which is weighted more heavily on some decision to, to leave the company. Um, so if we want to talk about processes in general, as in with any company I've ever been to, where most companies have problems and have hiccups are handoffs, right? So this department or this uh, person hands off to this person or when someone shifts and graduates from the CDL school or all of these things, these handoffs, if the process isn't uh, spelled out specifically and and understood, that's where most of the time that that large and small companies will fail. And this one was no different, um, so there were improvements that could be made there, but that was kind of the low hanging fruit you know those are the small improvements that could help um, increase the the driver's confidence in the process. Where I found really could make a difference in the industry as a whole is how drivers are perceived and how they're treated, not even specifically fear England because i I felt they did, you know, uh, a fairly good job in treating drivers well. But it's their interaction day to day with everyone they come in contact with. So in my time out in the road, um and even with the w- during school, I was astonished by how society treats drivers and um and how to- how drivers tolerated it because okay. that's what they were used to. And it got me thinking and imagining what it would be if, if we could create an environment for the driver that treats him exceptionally, instead of just satisfactorily. Treats him exceptionally, what would happen? And um, and that's what spurred the change. Um, this understanding that if you treat someone exceptionally, it creates loyalty. And beyond even, it's not even like a psychological game. It, how we should be treating everyone in every walk of life. Our neighbors, the person that we're driving next to us on the freeway, our associates, all of these things, right? It's, it's, it's,
0: mm-hmm.
6: It goes without saying, but, but sometimes it needs to be said.
0: <laughs> the podcast with Pam Wilson about her undercover assignment also featured voices from the return of owner-operators to the National Mall again this year in Washington, D.C., in October for That's a Big Ten Four on D.C., Here's a sampling of point of view on just why they were there from independent German Soweth of Frederick, Maryland, Kit Spanfeller of Northwest Ohio, leased to Davidson Trucking, Generations Express owner-operator Brian Hutchins of Oklahoma, independent Ruben Carrion of Kissimmee, Florida, and an Iowa-based Mike Jellison, also running independent. It was an opportunity to park my truck on the National Mall, I and mean, you can't
5: beat that. I mean, if you don't do anything else, you're on the National Mall looking at your your Congress and your Senate, and you can go up there and talk to them if you want.
8: So you have the right, do it the right way.
0: What's your reason for coming out here? What does it mean for
8: you? Oh, uh, have our voices heard about the regulations, the 14-hour, the 11-hour rule with these ELDs. I mean, there's got to be some kind of flexibility. I mean... Everybody's racing the clock now. When before, when you was tired, you can take your break, then wake up, feel refreshed, and take off again. And it's, it's just a headache anymore. I mean, you can't find parking spots. There's no parking. We, we need, You want to set these regulations to us, but you're not helping the cause. I mean, it's hard to find parking spots anymore. I think the proposed changes are probably going to be the best chance
5: we get to actually fix the hours of service where they work better for everyone. You know, we, we need a true split sleeper berth, and it's evident reading through the publication they put out that they actually listened to a bunch of those comments in there. If you look, they actually cited a bunch of those comments in there, which is something previously I felt like we never even really had a relationship with the FMCSA where it seems like now they're at least actually listing compared to before
9: you didn't feel like you had any say at all. I don't know. I really pretty much always retired, you know. I wish that we don't have so many regulations. And they come out with the EOD pretty much took all my, I feel my freedom, you know, I don't, now I got a computer telling me what to do and, you know, I, I want to follow the rules. I don't, you know, yeah. I don't, I want to you know, be more flexible, you know, but, you know, not just the, you know, I want to stop my truck, take a nap, you know, when I want and I want the computer does
5: driver is responsible for this rig, this truck, his well-being when he's out on the road. He knows what it takes for him to operate safely. You can't take a clock and just say, you're going to work within this clock and that's going to make you safer. You can't mandate safety. You have to train safety. I've said that over and over. And it's true because you can can mandate anything to happen. It doesn't mean the effect that it has is going to come out to be positive in the long run. And as we're actually starting to see now, with the hours of service we currently have, now all these guys are racing against this clock versus before they could stop. It's just like D.C. traffic. You come to D.C. traffic and you're hitting rush hour. If 5,000 trucks could stop before they got here and take a break for three hours and let traffic die down before they come through town, it would be safer for the general public and for the drivers as well if they come through at night or in the evening after all the traffic has died down only that, it creates less congestion on the roadways during the peak hours.
10: I grew up, my dad was a trucker and he was an owner-operator. Uh, whenever I was real young, he was hauling livestock uh, over in the Midwest, just off the farm basically into the packing houses. But uh, Back I guess it was long about 74, 73, 74, he bought a couple of reefer then. At that time, I was around 13 years old. I I grew up riding around with him. I I've been involved in him most all my life. Nice.
7: Well, I got a lot of friends
10: that we uh, are, you know, concerned about the a lot of the government overreach and the rules and regulations in trucking, and we just come out. Just to try to raise the awareness of what's going on, and um, that's about it, really. I mean, that and a little break.
8: It's then you got new drivers coming out here. They're doing these virtual classes, or I, there's got to be something going about that. They got to have more regulations on training. Tonight. You just can't send a guy to school for six weeks and get him in a truck and he's free to go to work. I mean, it takes experience. I was in a truck with, I drove with my grandpa. I drove with friends. And it's just an experience you gotta have.
10: Like right now, there's talk about moving the uh, required million dollar liability policy insurance to 4.8 right 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 which right now my one million dollar policy is so expensive i can hardly afford that yeah i can't imagine 4.8 million what that would cost i mean because right now i feel like what i'm paying for a million ought to provide 4.8 million (laughs) yeah right it's a lot of money
9: right i do more for the new generation you know the new guys i'm pretty much you know done what I can and you yeah. know but I, I wish everybody all the new guys you know be on to own their own truck and their little business but the way I look at it is you know I don't know probably another five years you know we had to work for big corporation or uh, probably not me but you know right. you know but I like trucking's been good to me I, I love trucking and I still like it but you know you just have your little business you know I don't ask for too much and I expect the you guys, I see a little kids in here, I love trucking, probably they will drive truck, probably not. There's a little kid in here, he was so excited, yeah, up and down my truck and yeah. and I wish he, you know, see he decided to be a trucker, you know. He, he got his own opportunity that I have, you know. But it's not gonna, to me, I don't know, i probably wrong, it's not gonna happen <laughs> again, I can't, you know like I say you when know, they put an electronic book it's like it took my last freedom well
10: our hope is to really gain some interest in it I mean try to get yeah. unity uh, amongst our kind because that's what needs to happen is we need to unify and, and make a stand uh, for these lawmakers and these people that are trying to regulate without that, we're just spinning our wheels. But we hope to gain unity through
0: it all. You can find all these top ten podcasts of the year in a playlist hosted on Overdrive's SoundCloud profile and within the post on my Channel 19 blog that houses this December 27th published uh, year in review. Moving on. Number nine in the top ten list was my talk with Virginia-based owner-operator Brian Bushnell about some then-in-the-works slow-roll events. Likewise, his then-recent participation in a February slow-roll around Indianapolis, intended in part to raise awareness around trucking issues and promote the call for an April shutdown that ultimately would go on to be a great deal less of an event than organizers hoped, as you'll recall. Bushnell's involvement in the Indiana event, though, as he notes, came about via association with the Chi-Town Large Cars Club and offered some opportunity for a bit of even international diplomacy of a fashion. Um,
11: Amber Furry was uh, was putting it on, was, was kind of leading the way there, leading the charge, and uh, she is the, we call her the first lady of Chi-Town, large cars. Uh, she is okay. the president's girlfriend, so um, she's basically the mom of the group. You know, what mama says goes, so when mama tells you to jump, you start jumping. <laughs> yeah, she, uh, she told her, she asked me if I would be there, and um, I had already planned on on going and participating and, and uh you know I, I didn't really have much of much of a role of putting it on or anything it was more of a more of a participant role for me in the sure. to, in the Indy role but they had a couple reporters that that wanted to ride along with in the trucks uh and there was a guy from uh he he did, he was a reporter for a newspaper out in tokyo japan uh he he had done some reporting on on some of the Problems that they have in the trucking industry out there, and he wanted to ride along. So we, uh, Brian Brassy, matched him up with me, and uh, he came along and took some pictures and took some video, and you know, rode with me through the through the whole slow roll, looping around Indy there two laps. Um, you know, we, we talked a bit. and I mean, he, he was he was really in tune with what was going on. It I was it really it kind of surprised me. I had no clue what to expect having a reporter from Tokyo. I didn't I didn't even know if the guy spoke English when he showed up. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but um, it turned out to be you know, pretty cool. You know, he, he knew what was going on. He, he, he knew about the problems that we're facing in the industry, and he was 100% on our side with it, too. Kind of seemed like he was trying to drum up some, uh, um, some support for, for Tokyo, almost, or trying to let
12: huh, Tokyo okay. know what
11: we're doing in America, you know? It,
0: Perhaps the biggest cool. issue the slow roll events of early in the year were intended to highlight was the clarion call for hours of service change in light of the ELD mandate. FMCSA would go on to attempt to address hours with its mid-year proposal to potentially allow new measures of flexibility in the sleeper burst split, as well as a three hour off-duty pause button for the 14 hour clock, among other potential changes. Its proposal is sure to see further advancement in the new year, watchers hope, so keep tuned for more. Number eight in our countdown here was all about another hot button that saw greater attention late in the year. In some ways, uh, as a result of Michigan-based small fleet owner Leander Richmond's dogged pursuit of it, that's the booting of occupied trucks while drivers are sleeping within. Directly related to the parking problems that were so that are so widespread, of course, and exacerbated in many ways by the ELD mandate. I caught up with uh, Leander for a conversation about his efforts in this podcast from the National Association of Small Trucking Companies conference in late October, all about the truck booting trap. This is happening to people,
13: they feel isolated, they get yelled at on the radio by some of these drivers that don't understand what's really going on and they don't know where to go for help. They don't realize that they can get help and you know, quite honestly, they lose their five or six or $700 and they think, okay, now I have to make it up. I don't have time to fight this or go back at it. So we, you know, it, it's really a screwy situation. I mean, I, I had a conversation with a Berea police officer, Berea, Kentucky police officer, about the Walmart incident because we had a, another truck there. And I'm talking to this cop and I'm explaining to him that these people are under contract with the Walmart store at, at, as it was told to us by the booter themselves. That they are supposed to try and wake the driver up, which seems consistent with most trespass laws. You give the people an opportunity to correct the trespass. He insisted that yes, they have told him that they have. They wear body cams to prove that they actually try to wake the drivers up. We have video showing that they tap on the truck extremely lightly. They don't. They don't make any attempt to wake them up. And I asked this officer if he could just check the body cam to see if they if he tried to wake our driver up his response was yes i asked them about it and they told us that it was an electronic media and he had to go through our corporate office so he made no real effort to try and verify what these people are doing and this is what truck drivers are up against you know every time we get law enforcement involved except in the case of north carolina they actually arrested the guy down there
0: yeah how's that for ending on a cliffhanger We'll have further reporting on the truck booting trap and that particular North Carolina incident Richmond referenced late uh, next week at overdriveonline.com after the new year, so tune back in there. Good news that emerged a month or so after my talk with Richmond came out of Colorado where new regulations were being finalized that would essentially prohibit any booting of an occupied vehicle without the intervention of a law enforcement officer. Number seven in the countdown. Preparing for the unforeseen or the impossibility of such at uh, any given time in the career of many an owner-operator, that was part of the subject of my early year visit with owner-op and former OIDA board member Steve Bixler of Pennsylvania. It was all about uh, all in the value of uh, hanging on to that spare truck. He put his classic lady in red cab over back into service after his former daily driver hit some mechanical problems. Then, the worst happened. An accident that wasn't his fault took the lady in red off the road. He and his wife and business partner improvised with the assistance of long connections among hauling outfits in the region to make the best of an impossible situation. Along the way, uh, Bixler expressed healthy skepticism of then-prominent calls for a shutdown making their way around the internet.
14: Between the unions, the large independent carriers, and the owner-operators, that are looking to grab a quick buck versus take a hit in the wallet today to make it better tomorrow. It'll never happen. You'll never, you'll never see another nationwide truck strike.
7: Not, not on the same level as it uh, happened in the past, anyway.
14: No, no, because you, you get, you. I mean, you know. You, Back when it happened in the 70s you didn't have trucking companies with 5,000, 8,000, 10,000 trucks on the road. You didn't have you know the 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 teamsters, yeah, they were they were they were powerful in the early 70s, but they didn't have the membership that they have now. And you know, it it it's just there's too many different large groups that aren't going to stick together. And if you don't get them all to stick together, it's not going to work. I don't know if this is going to come up in your conversation or not. So I'm going to insert it here. I've, I've been saying, uh, for many, many years. And while I had the opportunity with OIDA, I've, I told this direct face to face to, uh, Administrator Ann Farrow. I told it to Administrator Scott Darling. And had I, if I ever have the opportunity to meet him, I will tell it to Administrator Ray Martinez. The difference between the trucking industry leaders that claim to be all for safety and technology and the owner-operators out there, and the truck drivers out there, is this. The leaders of the trucking industry want whatever makes the bottom line look good at the end of the day. The truck drivers and the owner-operators and the groups like OIDA want whatever makes you get home safe at the end of the day. That's the difference. And until you get those two sides together, which you never will, there will always be strife in the trucking industry. Because you have your groups like the ATA and the Trucking Alliance, and all they're looking for is bottom line to make themselves look good and to make their trucking companies look good. They don't care what it does to the driver as long as it makes them look good. Whereas the owner operators and the truck drivers, they want to see rules and regulations in place that get them home safe to their family at the end of the day.
0: To what extent would you go for another one to two miles per gallon in fuel economy? For owner operator Kenny Capel, the answer was the long in process development of an alternative system for electrically powering some of the parts of the truck that bleed efficiency from the diesel engine like the main engine fan. Capel's newly patented system, also with uh, application for auxiliary powered climate control, was the subject of a talk in the depths of this summer, uh, this past August. Here's Capel describing the idea and results that turned many an owner-op's ear for a variety of reasons. It's number six in our countdown.
15: Now, a lot of us out here have been on a hill and. We're gaining on the truck in front of us, and we throw our left blinker on, we slide out there in that left lane, and we're doing good, we're passing the guy, and your engine fan comes on, you're dead in the water. as so I just pull back in behind him. <laughs> you know, that's a significant draw on the truck that most people uh, A lot don't of out here who run teams with their wives and stuff may, may have the same kind of wonderful wife I do. She's a great woman, but she has a heavy foot for such a little girl. And, um, If the speed limit was 75, she wanted to run 75. And back then we were running team to the Northwest, pulling carpet out of Dalton, Georgia, uh, going up toward Washington and then back down to LA and doing the triangle back to Dalton, Georgia. Um, The average fuel mileage of the truck was in the high sixes, low sevens, running team that way. All my numbers and everything that I have on this was based on team running. Um, Okay. So what we ended up doing uh the fan clutch was getting ready to go out and you know that's that's an awful heavy thing if you ever have to move one but um i decided that i wanted to try and increase fuel mileage and uh see if i could eliminate rotating mass and go electric like a lot of the cars and stuff do today okay and um uh, i gave that a whirl and and it was fine in the winter time. In the summertime, I started having some overheating issues, um, which was solved by um, some crafty thinking on my part by uh, eliminating some heat transfer from under the hood by relocating other parts of the AC system. Okay. So the truck then ended up going from the high sixes, low sevens, to 8.2 consistently in fuel mileage, running 70 mile an hour most of the time.
7: Okay. So not, yeah, not, not uh, you know, shaving off uh, miles per gallon by slowing down, but by basically um, taking some of the load off of uh, the engine. Correct.
15: That, and increasing the airflow and the horsepower, and it ended up having all kinds of other little deals that were unexpected. Uh, my maintenance costs are a little lower, my air filter, my air cap filter lasts longer. I can go to a dirt parking lot and not stir up that big old cloud of dust we're all familiar seeing.
0: <laughs> Making an investment in Capel's system is possible for an owner-op today, though not insubstantial in terms of time and money. Search his name at OverdriveOnline.com. That's Kenny, K-E-N-N-Y, Capel, C-A-P-E-L-L. You'll find more information about it there and in the podcast you can hear via the 2019 Top 10 SoundCloud playlist I mentioned earlier. Now, number five in the countdown, yet another learning experience delivered in the first person from the perspective of Midnight Express small fleet owner Andre Jackson on the limits to growth. Particularly in our current time when liability insurance costs can bleed the life out of newly independent owner operators and fleets looking to move beyond a truck quickly. Call it, as we did, the growing pains of small trucking. Add to those insurance costs failure plan for unforeseen maintenance, deteriorating market conditions and spot freight where Jackson does most of his business, a driver who hopped in and hopped right back out. and. You've got some serious pain indeed. Here's a bit of Mississippi-based Jackson's thoughts on a principal issue experienced as he and a business partner attempted to put an aggressive small fleet growth plan into action.
16: Some of the things you endure along along the way of trying to grow, you don't foresee coming, like major breakdowns, like we just went through a major breakdown, cost us a lot, a lot of money. We had to redo the top end of the motor. Oh, we okay. never saw that coming.
7: Which truck was
16: it? It was the Volvo, and the thing about the Volvo, we had just purchased the Volvo, only pulled one load with it when it when we had the problem with the truck, and I had to put six new injectors in it, had to do an overhead to it, all that, and um, it, it hit us financially because like major, majorly because we had to tow the truck down to Atlanta, the truck stayed in Atlanta. Almost five weeks um, for the repairs to be completed, uh, which cost us financially once again. Um, I'm back and forth in Atlanta to a hotel, which cost us once again. And then just the labor and the parts to get it all done was something that was unforeseen. So on paper, when we were creating the plan, we never created an outlet, or if that's the proper word to use, or a... uh, we never looked at the fact that you know we could have a breakdown like this that would cost us, you know, majorly. We never just took the time to think about that when we was um, right. you know, creating our outline to grow the business.
7: All things considered, you would have uh, done more in the area of putting uh putting aside uh money in the kind of an emergency fund uh quickly. Right.
16: Definitely. I mean, it was a uh, it was something that really taught us as far as our maintenance maintenance money is concerned, having more than enough as opposed to not having enough you know um right. it depleted or it depleted our maintenance money and um it started to go into our business account money, which in turn, as I stated, was weighing on the business um so what we did was instead of being an eight percent deduction towards um maintenance we raise it up to 10% deduction toward maintenance now.
7: Yeah, so on every load, uh, you're allocating uh, at least 10% uh, to that maintenance fund?
16: Well, we, we at the end of the week, when we do the loads, from the total of all the loads, total revenue. take 10% <laughs> total revenue.
0: Though plenty of those bedrock trucking business principles apply, Early in the year, I got a close look at another sort of trucking altogether, one that clearly excites the imagination of the class eight truck audience. This number four in the podcast countdown looked at the cargo van operation of team owner operators, Darren and Trish Ayers. Part of the attraction of this particular episode, no doubt had to do with the question of just how it could possibly be that the Ayers were hauling in a Mercedes Sprinter van with what amounts to a 90 plus inch double bunk sleeper on board. Where do you put it? answer right behind the captain's chairs doesn't that limit what you can haul answer yeah but they do fine even with the sacrifice space and it turns out there's a reason for that here's Darren describing it
11: we
12: had a a lease truck for a little while and then we we bought our own truck a used one that ran it for a year uh, to a year and a half until we were able to then take our truck and move it over to Landstar who we've been with now for the past four years. We moved to the cargo van from the tractor trailer in November of uh, 2017, so about a year and a half ago. You know, I, I try to get as much knowledge as I can before I, I make a shift, so I had really yep. researched the cargo van side before we decided to downsize from the tractor trailer, and we, uh with Landstar we had moved into a niche with the uh um, with the a and e uh, or a a and e uh, as the yeah. industry calls it the arms ammunition and explosive side of the house and uh, so with Landstar since we were already in that niche, we were able to downsize to the cargo van and remained in that niche uh, and I think that's what's made it successful for us is being in that particular line of uh of transportation hauling
7: i imagine as others uh i've talked to have have said over the years um when you're talking about freight uh, military freight that's that's the place you want to be uh when it comes to earning potential and um it's what i'm i've heard from some others about cargo vans is uh is correct that may even be more true there
12: it's kind of, for us as much as anything, it's kind of like being back in the military family again. We're, we're familiar with uh, the eccentricities that go along with being uh, um, on military installations, and the security clearances, we already had those, so it worked well for us. But
7: well, you pretty much do that exclusively?
12: Yes. Yeah, on very rare occasions, we may get an agent that calls us to want us to pick up something if we're in the area, um, but rarely are they willing to come up to the, um, uh, the price that we're used to getting, uh, working as a team, uh, hauling the a- A&E. So when we tell them, say, look, if I take your load, that means I'm going to have to forgo the opportunity uh, on one of the other higher paying loads. So if you can meet the price that I would expect to get, then we'll haul your load. And usually they end up going another direction and not using us.
0: Take a listen back through the full podcast with the heirs for more about that sleeper. They worked with the Fastlane Products boutique builder in Oak Ridge, Tennessee on the customization. The Arkansas based team along the way described their journey to the cargo van operation after both finished careers in military, military service. Number three in the countdown now with a big tip of the hat to Overdrive's own James Gillette, who crafted this one while I was out of the office on R in June. It featured a voice you've already heard up top in the parking discussion from guests, that of longtime owner operator Ingrid Brown, who talked through her four decades long career in trucking and involvement as a public face in the FMCSA's Our Roads, Our Safety campaign of safety awareness, in part to motorists as well as the trucking public. You've probably seen Ingrid's face on a billboard or two out there. Here's Brown offering some advice on cutting through the noise around trucking. And boy is there a lot of it these days, plenty of it with questionable veracity when it comes to the facts. But the pace of change has certainly accelerated as well and with that comes reasonable worry. Breathe, Brown advises. Breathe and take the time to consider facts, calculate options.
17: The biggest thing is, is make sure that if you're listening to things that are happening or you're reading media or you're reading social media or you're you know you're you're trying to find answers (laughs) make sure that you find the true facts of it to rectify this i think that everybody being on edge it'd be great if i could say just breathe that's hard to do it's hard to do whenever you're trying to figure out if rates are going to continue to drop and you're trying to figure out how am i going to keep going with what i'm doing Or where do I need to adjust so that it's not going to affect in such a detrimental way that I have to change my operation? Um, I think that, um, and I feel that really sitting down and seeing exactly what you as an individual or a small company owner operator needs to do for yourself on the lowest line possible so that you know for yourself what you can and can't do. And what I mean by that, and that sounds like a lot of ramble, but it's pretty simple. Sit down, get your priorities where they need to be for yourself, your family, your business. And I say it just like that, yourself, your family, and your business. And once you get that done, then you can figure out where you need to go to make that happen. You may may have to make some changes in the times coming. You may have to, you know, when the full enforcement comes in in December, you may have to, you know, readjust a few things. We all are. It's not going to be something that affects one person. It's going to affect the whole industry. We're looking at a lot of, of things that's coming about that we're wanting answers on, that we're asking questions, that we're looking at you every day, that we're probably just like me, I'm looking at you every day, several times a day. And we're just, I think the anticipation is, it's just really building up a whole lot of anxiety in a lot of places and a lot of things in the industry, whether it's drivers, shippers, receivers, companies, you know, I am not sure what parts you're in.
0: That number three podcast also featured a preview of the finalists in this year's Trucker Talent Search, which Kingsport, Tennessee-based owner-operator Taylor Barker would go on to win, as regular Overdrive radio listeners well know from the recent coverage of Barker's recording session here in Nashville. Here's one of the songs featured in that June podcast that turned plenty ears too, from eventual runner-up Jason Henley of Jimson, Alabama. It's Nebraska Dropping Hook. Hear
18: the whine of the steel bell roll, four hundred miles until I get home. Lord, ain't seen the front. Can't seem to change my ways, touch down in Nebraska tonight. Drop it hook and turn back to the morning light. Mama says it's time to be From the life of one
0: Number two. It didn't take long for this newbie team to see the value in more flexible sleeper splits. Yeah, with a title like that, our talk with Old Time Express team drivers Tommy and Linda Bryant was sure to get a lot of attention. We caught up with them at the Small Fleet's headquarters in Hartsville, Tennessee, where they were just about a year into trucking together, after quite a long time running a local cafe called the Early Bird. Old times Mark and Mitch White did something for the Bryants they hadn't done to speak of in years past. They helped with their CDL training at a nearby school. They were able to get their insurance company on board with the new team without breaking the proverbial insurance bank, a difficult prospect for many small fleets these days. And the Bryants fell in nicely to the operation. The first time Old Time truly had a, uh, a true team to rely on for loads that just need to go. Here's Mark describing how the team came to Old Time.
19: So- they, they approached us. We were eating lunch in their restaurant. They approached us. Hey, we're thinking about this. The kids are gone. We want to travel. We want to get paid to travel. We're thinking about getting our license and driving a truck. We told them, well, you better think long and hard because it's not like what you think it is. It's not sightseeing. Um, <clears throat> but they kept, they were persistent about it. And we were like, well, you know, find you a good school. You know, do this, do this, be prepared. You're going to have to go with a big company. You're going to be gone for months at a time, it, you know, you got to tough it out at least the first year. And, and just in having those conversations, Mitch and I started talking was Like, well, we can hire them, we can train them. We've never had a, a true team. I don't know if we can keep them busy, but you know, so we started talking to them about going to work here. Uh, they were receptive to the idea and uh, they were the first people who we actually um, helped put through school. We, we covered half their tuition. Um, and it has worked out wonderfully. They, uh, they, 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 they do the job, they run the miles, and, and, and we appreciate that, but it's just their attitude. I mean, you couldn't ask for two better people who, who you can tell they like what they do, and it shows. And, and to me, uh, and I think Mitch would agree, we can't buy that kind of advertising.
0: And it's true, ultimately. I don't think I've come across a pair of trucking who are clearly having as much fun as the Bryants. It'd be even better, Tommy said shortly before the FMCSA issued its notice of proposed rulemaking for hours of service flexibility. It'd be better with a little regulatory help. Here, the Bryants talk about the challenge of sleep they found on the road and what they hoped for, the old five and five and regs change.
20: The first week or two out there, you would have looked at us and thought we hadn't slept in a while. I mean, we really was down to just a couple of hours of sleep a day because we would would do an 8-2 split. And uh, one of us would have eight hours off. Well, we would try to get five, six, seven hours of sleep. That's not happening. You might go back there and sleep two hours, and then you wake up and can't go back to sleep. Maybe before the end, you start again, you might get another little hour of sleep. So you're running like three hours of sleep.
2: You felt all the bumps in the road. So we went and we bought us some mattresses. And we've actually got a what, about 10 inches of mattresses. Memory
20: foam. Memory foam. We've got, yeah, we've got two 4-inch memory foams and an 8-inch memory foam on there. So we, we're doing, I mean, we're just slowly adapting the truck and finding what. We found that the springs on the mattress, you would hit a pothole and still continue to bounce a moment or two after you pass it. Well, that memory foam you just absorb the shock and you're past it so and i
2: try to you know um while he's sleeping i try to uh, you know go around all the hose in the road if i can to keep it you know from hitting them you know because uh of jarring in the bed and not saying i hit, uh-huh, hit the brakes uh earplugs help a lot earplugs is something that we we do adapt to you know far as sleeping um other than that, I mean, the, I think that has been the big obstacle for yeah, the both of us. Roads are in really bad roads shape. Are, they, yeah. It amazes me how bad the roads are. You know, um, I just figured a lot of the states would take better care of their roads. You know, but, so I think you know. that if
20: we can get it down to five-hour shifts, that won't be a problem. It would be nice that uh, if I'm getting to that drowsy spot, because Mark was—he tells us, Tommy, if you're sleepy, pull over. He said. Take 30 minutes, 45-minute nap, and then get back on the road if you feel like you're ready for it. He said, never drive tired. They they do not want us to drive tired. He'll tell you that. Stop. Rest area, whatever you got to do, stop. But it would be so nice that if I could wake her up or, you know, say, hey, I'm really tired. Will you drive a couple hours? I'm going to hit the bunk a couple hours. And just keep rolling instead of losing that 30 minutes to 45 minutes. You know, the drivers – They can set regulations for you need to sleep here or stop here, but only the driver knows when he's tired. And everybody's internal clocks are different. Some people would rather drive all through the night and sleep in the daytime and then vice versa. So I think with them putting more of it into our control, uh, it's going to be a positive move for the drivers because it it does let us say, I'm sleepy, I'm going to sleep, but it's not going to cut into my drive time.
0: bit of a coda to the story of Old Time Express. About a month after that talk with Mark and Mitch White and the Bryants, uh, about a month after it aired, Marshall Bo White uh, passed away. Bo was Mark and Mitch's father. He founded Old Time as an owner operator, growing the fleet with direct business over time. You can read more about his story if you search Old Time Express at OverdriveOnline.com and search back through the stories. My condolences here to the family, I know Bo is missed, and I'm better for having gotten the opportunity to meet him on more than one occasion. Finally, the number one most listened to Overdrive Radio Podcast edition of the year featured retired long-time owner-operator Gordon Alkire of Riley, Kansas. Alkire I know is a familiar name to long-time Overdrive readers. Uh, given his long shared maintenance expertise has been a significant boon to many an editor here, among many other things. man's a great storyteller too. He reached out with a, uh, quite a doozy of a runaway uh, that he experienced uh, down Mont Eagle Mountain many, many, many years ago in the wake of all the social media piling on he was seeing uh, following that uh, horrific tragedy out in Colorado earlier this year. He urged drivers to check their condemnation of the trucker involved there before the facts of his circumstances were out. And Gordon shared his own story of tragedy, in his case, just narrowly avoided, from the 70s. I
4: worked for a company out of Glasgow, Kentucky. And uh, it was a fairly regular run for for me to go down Mont Eagle on the old road, then through Chattanooga down into Georgia, and then we come back the same way. And
7: uh, remind me what you were driving that uh, that day in, in Miami. What was that truck like? Oh, it was a,
4: excuse me, a GMC Astro 95. I can tell you the color. It was blue.
14: <laughs> but I
4: don't rem I don't remember the engine. It was more than likely a Cummins. Uh, okay. Ten speed. It was a ten speed. Uh, it was uh, the norm then. You know, it would be a piece of junk today by comparison to the new equipment, but. It was the norm. It was well-maintained.
7: No engine brakes on that one, eh?
4: No, no. That was when engine brakes were not on. They weren't the norm anymore, you know, yet. Uh, And a lot of companies couldn't afford to put them on their trucks, especially in retrofit. That's just one of those things. Uh, It was back in that day, Todd, trucking was hard work. Some of the trucks you got in didn't have power steering. I had a Peterbilt, a 68 Peterbilt, that we put air assist on. But uh, it was just manual labor. You worked hard. You just worked hard in it. Um, I just, uh, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade what I have done over the years for anything. I just wouldn't do it. This day I'm I've got a loaded trader. Now that's back when it's seventy three two eighty. <laughs> no eighty thousand back then. Uh, I get started out of that seventy six that was at the top of the top of the, the the mountain. I don't know if it's still there or not to be honest with you. But anyway I get going and I just hadn't got very far and I think I'm in second or third gear of a ten speed. All of a sudden, I hit the vibration in the truck and a thumping, a really terrible thumping, like, you know, somebody's sledgehammering my truck. And then it got super quiet. And I had no brakes because the whole time, I, you know, oh, what happened here? And fear. I don't I don't like that kind of fear, <laughs> you know. What happened? So I realized I had no brakes, so I grabbed the, the mic on the CB. Thank God everybody had one. And, uh... Told him that I'm I'm in a southbound runaway truck, you know, and I got no brakes, and it isn't that I burned them up. I just they just no no brakes, and, and I what had, happened
7: uh, there? You you figured it out later, right?
4: Yes, yes, I did. Uh, I clipped a Snuffy Smith. Now, if you've been out here a long time, you'll know who Snuffy Smith was. Uh, anyway, we get down there, and I I clipped the Snuffy Smith, but not real bad, you know, just wake him up, so to speak. He got on the radio and started hollering, yes, he is a runaway truck. He just flipped me, you know, blah, blah, blah. anyway, I get down to where, oh, God, I, I know this runoff ramp is coming. Oh, God bless it. I get around that last curb before we hit that short straightaway for that runoff ramp. There's some RVs in there camping. They're having a picnic, and I got their grill going. I had to make a decision. I couldn't go in there and kill those people because it surely would have taken them out. I went on by. And finally, I made it. I pulled off. Well, you could almost see Chattanooga when I quit rolling. But I I pulled it over to the side and this trooper came up and I had just coasted to a stop. Setting the brakes didn't help. And... I real he he just, he starts yelling at me, why in the hell didn't you hit that runoff ramp? And I, I'm still holding that steering wheel. And I said, because there were campers in there. He got this look on his face. Went to his car, made a phone call, or not a, a radio call. Another trooper checked it out. Yeah, they were there. Well, that's why I didn't go. His attitude changed. Well, as it turned out, the reason my brakes failed was the drive shaft broke at the back of the transmission. And it just spun around, tearing out everything, the airlines, electrical lines, and then it broke off. Went off on the side of the road or down the mountain or somewhere. So, but I had, when I went to get out of that, that truck, Todd, I couldn't let go of the steering wheel. And that steering wheel was almost in a U-shape. I had put so much pressure with my legs on the brake and pulling up on that steering wheel to keep pressure on it that I actually bent that steering wheel. I'm not a big guy and I was smaller then than I am now. I couldn't get my hands off the steering wheel. They had to pry them off.
0: As for the driver out in Colorado who lost it he headed down the mountain, his trial is set for May of this coming year. And he's pled not guilty to 40 counts in the wreck that killed four people and injured numerous others. Among the counts, four are four vehicular homicide. Prosecutors allege a quote-unquote extreme indifference for human life. The defense argues that, on the contrary, as in the case Al Kair recounted from the 70s, brakes can and do sometimes fail. Something to watch for in the spring. Finally then, on a uh, less ominously somber note, uh, I'll shout out a happy new year to all of you. May the rates be high and the parking plentiful. In 2020, we can hope, I guess. And uh, here's a final word from our own contributor over at uh, over the Overdrive Extra blog. Happy the one and only Long Hall Happy Paul Marhofer. Take us out, Paul. Decade. Happy birthday to Let me give you
21: one more.